You're listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich, And today I'm talking to Timmy Lewis. She is the founder and principal of Lewis Media Company, and she also sits on the New York Wiki board. She is the co-chair of the sponsorship committee. And I'm so, so excited to talk to you today, Timmy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> we are this is we are doing this via Zoom, and um, this is our second Zoom remote interview. We're keeping the podcast alive, um, even in these remote times. <laughs> so, thank you for entering the new world of podcast recording. <laughs> it's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> As always, I love to start by talking about coffee. So what is your Mm. coffee drink of choice? You know, I I wish I had a more sophisticated answer for this question, but I just like a good old cup of drip coffee. You know, I like uh, beans that are fresh, nothing sour or burnt. I like, um, you know, like it's just a high grade of coffee. Like I wouldn't be able to tell you what that high grade is, but like my palate can tell you when it is or isn't. Um, I like some decent creamer. I have food allergies. So like, you know, coffee made or some, you know, upgraded version, natural bliss, whatever they have at Starbucks is fine. Uh, I like sugar in the raw. So, you know, give me some brown sugar. And I typically put like, you know, half to three fourths of one in each cup. And uh, that's about it. So like, I don't, you know, every now and again, I'll get an Americano. I'm lactose intolerant. So there's not a lot of dairy in my world besides the creamer. You know, that's the exception. Um, and basically I'm not fancy, but I am particular. I love it. Yeah. That's <laughs> the title of your book. Not fancy, just particular. I am, exactly. That's a good <laughs> Do you ever make coffee? Do you make the coffee at home? Oh, you know, I used to have an interesting relationship with that. Like I was in denial <laughs> that I was like a real coffee drinker. So like, I refused. It was like, I'm going to be out here in the street. I'm going to go to Starbucks. Like, you know, I find that Maison Kaiser has really great coffee. You like go in search of amazing cups of coffee. And so I would do that and it sort of worked out like, you know, with work and meetings. Um, but then I realized it's like, what happens in inclement weather? You know, it was like winter. And I was like, I don't want to be beholden to, you know, going in search of coffee. So I was like, I should probably invest. So I went to Target, aka Target, and I got some like Black & Deck or something. It is not posh. But it gets the job done. And um, so now I make coffee at home. And so, like, that's one of the things I miss is outside coffee, as I like to call it. You know, I outside know. coffee that other people brewed. People are baristas for a reason, defer to the profession. <laughs> it's so true. It's, like, such a, a moment in the pandemic. Like, certain things yeah. that I would just run out for that now I have to make at home. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love outside coffee. Like, I love coffee culture. I like the smell of it. You know, and, it, and like, I, I got into the game later in life. Like, I didn't grow up drinking coffee. I didn't drink it in college or even grad school. It was, like, an occasional thing. Like, you really were going out for coffee. But now, like, I really like it. Uh, and um, it's okay. It gets the job done right now. But um, I think I'm ready to take it to the next level and get a coffee grinder. It's in my Amazon cart right now. <laughs> We are, well, I was just thinking as we're talking, I feel like it's kind of almost like any business thing you're starting to build and each thing yeah. you're doing, you're planning yeah. and project managing and doing yeah. it yourself. <laughs> I love exactly. it. And so over time, like you can be data driven about your sources, about your choices. I'm like, well, this sort of already ground stuff may not be awesome. 
if I were to grind my own beans, perhaps I would elevate the experience until such time at which I can go out and get more outside coffee. Yeah. I think you'll be happy. I think you'll be happy with this decision. Okay, good. Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> At the time that we're having this interview and this chat, we're now about four plus months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and we've all been, you know, our lives have been turned upside down and things have changed so much. What's the biggest thing you've learned during this time? What's your kind of takeaway so far? Oh my word, there's so many takeaways, but I guess I would start by saying I miss the markers of time. Like I never know what day it is. I never know what time it is. I'm not a watch where I'm a kind of look over at my cell phone, look up at a subway clock type of person. Um, so I miss those markers of time, things that help you organize your day, you know, according to like some type of circadian rhythm. And uh, so I always know when it's Friday though. Um, that's about it. Like, that's all I can tell you. Um, so I really, I really miss that. I also kind of, um, lament how everything is a production now. Like everything used to be so simple. It's almost like, you know, some, for some people there's BC, you know, like what's B, uh, you know, after pandemic, like we're sort of at that thing where you sort of look back to life longingly. Like it was so simple. So I, everything is production. You've got to decontaminate everything. You have to be really thoughtful about things. You know, you really need to make a very good grocery list. You know, you need to sort of map out things in a way that once upon a time, you could just sort of like iterate through the day and, and get these things done. But, you know, it requires a lot more thoughtfulness and preparedness. And so everything is production. And so I don't like that. And I find it tiring. Um, and like the, you know, you miss some of the the trappings of normality, right? Like, once upon a time, you could just be like, oh, let's meet for coffee or we'll do drinks or, you know, let's do a lunch or, you know, I'll call you and it doesn't have to be a Zoom. And so if I approach things as this is just the way they are and stop seeing them as a production, I think I will boost my energy and get over the fact because we're going to be in this game for the long haul. But yeah, and so I miss think, that. Do you, do you think that there's going to be things that you change forever. Like I've been thinking about that a lot. Like mm. for example, wearing a mask, I'm like, okay, we're not going to have to wear a mask forever. But now that I've learned so much about mask wearing, I might wear a mask when I'm sick. Like if I have a cold oh. and I go on the subway, which I know in a lot of places people do this because I right. learned that, you know, you see all those charts of like the protection levels. Um, so I just wonder if there's other things that we like, do you mm. think, you know, for the, for the purpose of this podcast, talking about careers and jobs like do you think that will continue to everything a lot of stuff be remote or will it be easier to you know to have a remote company like are there certain things you think will last uh I do think I think a lot of companies realize that um going remote has a lot of pluses there are some minuses but the upside could be in cost um I think one of the downsides could be in how do you maintain a sense of community uh, I think the up cost might, or the upside might be loyalty because now you're working with folks, you're showing that you value them in, in new and different ways. Uh, I think for me, what I might do differently on a permanent basis might be ways to future-proof things. Like, you know, always be uh, cognizant that things could come to an end and maybe, you know, alter my services in a way that are impervious to the business cycle or, you know, to a pandemic. You know, because what I'm finding is, you know, to go back to your earlier question about what's been different is that um, 
just like people, my clients, you know, nobody really likes uncertainty. And, you know, how you navigate through uncertainty, you know, is sort of like a, a, a daily variety show. But in the main, people just don't like uncertainty. And so if I can find ways to minimize variables going forward, that's something I might do. So if it's future-proofing, having some services that people are always going to need regardless, you know, and I don't know what they are necessarily. I'm sort of like going along and iterating and figuring it out, but that could be um, one permanent change that I, I would think that myself and others would implement. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's like, we didn't even know that this could be a thing, right? I mean, maybe people, I'm sure some people do and did. <laughs> yeah. You know, the epidemiologists are like, this is the big one. Like for all right. the, like, the folks who are like earth scientists, like, you know, they know the big one, like for everybody else, we're just like, we're not in the know. I know. Like even thinking about, you know, I have a small child and thinking about, I never knew it would be a thing that there would be a time that I couldn't have childcare. And so I think to your point of future proofing, there's a lot of things that we'll think about differently of just, okay, we know this is an option. We don't actively have to do it, but we can mm-hmm. keep all the Thing, everything into consideration. Yes. And then I, I guess the last answer to that question would be what I've learned is that you need to give yourself grace and space. You know, like, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about what it's been like in the pandemic. And you almost have to like mourn the loss of what came before. Like, life as we know it is no longer life as we know it. And, you know, you can think back, you can have nostalgia, you can you know, be wistful, but then you also have to be in the now. And in being in the now, like you need to give yourself a space to grieve, to be upset, to be bit out of shape, to be salty, and then to like get over it, you know, in time as you're able to. So grace and space are, are some of the things that, I, that, that I've thought about. Space. I know. Yeah. It, it's, a, I, it's a huge change. I thinking about it as grieving your old life and taking the time yeah. to do that and start, but then starting a new. And I mean, I think that's, to me, innovating is the biggest thing. Like we can, we have to innovate. And I think Mm -hmm. the problem is at the beginning of this, everyone's like, this is going to be maybe six weeks. And so everyone's trying to do everything remote as we were doing it. And now I think it's a really interesting time because it's like, we have to innovate. Not everything works on Zoom, you know, in the way. So we have to think about, and it's exciting. I mean, it's horrible. And so many, you know, bad things have happened, but we can take this time to learn and to innovate and to change and, you know, maybe do things in different ways that make more sense. Correct. Correct. I'm with you. You've had an incredible career working in policy and government roles, nonprofits, and most recently starting Mm -hmm. your own company. Um, What, to, to start, what initially drew you to the public policy space? And I know this feels weird, but if you could talk about kind of what that means, like, working in public policy and then what drew you drew you to that space? Well, I like this question and it really takes me way, way, way back. Oh my goodness. Um, I think for me in college, like everyone and their grandmother, I wanted to be a doctor. And in particular, I wanted to be a cardiovascular surgeon. I was going to save the world one heart at a time. I was very, very focused. I've been a candy striper. I interviewed every doctor in the family. I did all these things. And when I got to school, I realized I didn't like these courses. And I was like, boy, this school is crazy expensive. I should only take what I want to take. And so I started doing a survey of like, you know, what I could put in place of, you know, having spent all this time thinking about biology and physics and, you know, the kind of requisite suite of courses you need to be able to apply to med school. 
And I was like, well, you know, this is a challenge and an opportunity. You know, this is how I look at it now. At the time, I was like, I need to find a new course. You know, places mad expensive. So I, um, I stumbled upon public policy. And what I liked about it was that it was so interdisciplinary. There was a little bit of everything. I didn't have to, like, make a choice in just doing economics or statistics or politics. Like, all of that was in the mix. And so I liked, you know, the multi- interdisciplinary aspect of it. And I liked the broadcast aspect of it. And by that, I mean how in, you know, a policy in one fell swoop could have massive impacts on people. And I thought that was really cool. And, you know, it's and in my estimation, I think policy can and should be a force for good. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to know that, you know, some change you made here would um, trickle out throughout the system and hopefully improve people's lives. And so I liked, you know, that element of it. And it was, and I found it interesting, you know, I don't think I manage boredom well, ever. And mm-hmm. so I was never bored. We wrote papers all the time. I would compare notes with my colleagues on breaks. I'm like, God, this semester I wrote like 20 papers. But like, you know, it gave you all these hard skills. You understood the relationship between life and economics and culture, you know, all of these things are uh, inextricably linked. And, you know, they feed into policy. And I really think that's sort of what I liked about it. And then you sort of learn that policy really is a way to implement laws. It brings laws to life. Like you're going to have a legislator that makes passes the law, but like what are the implementing steps to make that law a reality? So if we're going to mandate that people wear seatbelts, you know, you need sort of policies in place to sort of move that idea from theory into practice. And so, you know, policy is one of those tools to help you do that. And it's one of those tools that you can do it, you know, on a mass scale. So I, I liked that element of it. Um, and so, you know, I didn't mind all the writing of the papers. I didn't mind trying to come up with ways to be artful in your persuasion to get people to see your side of things. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a good alternative uh, to medicine. And, you know, I, it sort of made me think about, you know, my approach to policy is um, similar to some parts of the Hippocratic Oath, like first do no harm. But I would take it a step further that you want to do the most good you can for the greatest number of people that you can. And what was the path? So you studied it and what did yeah. you want to do? And then what did, what kind of, what were kind of the next steps after oh, um, undergrad? Let's see, like, Uh, I think for a lot of folks that go into policy, they go into working for government at any level, federal, state, local. Um, And I I sort of followed that path a little bit. Like right out of college, I was an AmeriCorps volunteer. And so this was going to be my way to save the world. And I I helped to run a mentoring program for high school students who were interested in the environment and exploring careers in the environment, educational pathways in the environment. I also worked in nonprofit you know, I got my first taste of life in professional services. So I, I didn't really follow the traditional path of a policy person. But in college, um, I did get to work on the Hill. I worked for a caucus. And so, you know, you're working with these legislators who were trying to pass laws and then, you know, kind of follow it through with the policy element of it. So that was a lot of fun. And it was one of those unpaid internships. And so like a fun fact, I would always like go to certain buildings where I knew the lobbyists would hang out because they always had food. So like when the folks from like North Carolina or Kentucky or Texas with a barbecue, I would all of a sudden be very interested in whatever it is they had to say. <laughs> it's good for active listening. It feeds your belly. Like they could, like I had to pay for the privilege of being unpaid. I was like, hello, this, this whole formula is off. 
but such is life. And like, I had to take a class with it. And so I really enjoyed the internship, but I was like, you know, one way to pray the cost of it was to hang out with these lobbyists. But, you know, that's sort of public policy at work. Um, And in undergrad, we called it public policy studies. And so you could get different concentrations, areas. And so as a nod to my previous life as a budding cardiovascular surgeon, I focused on health policy. And then I also had certificates in um, African-American studies and, uh, you know, like in women's studies. And like, you know, that sort of kind of fed into my interdisciplinary approach to, to school. And you went to graduate school. Yes, I went to graduate school. And so I worked for a few years and, you know, I grew up inside the Beltway, DMV, you know, maybe better known to some as the Washington metropolitan area. And everyone and their grandmother has like 10,000 degrees. So, you know, like it wasn't um, so much a, a question as to whether or not I was going to graduate school, but like, what did I want to study? And at what time did I want to like off ramp from working, you know, full time to go back to school? And so I, I kind of did a survey again. I said, okay, you know, am I interested in law school? And for a time, I was interested in law school. I was a legal assistant, but actually I, working in a law firm that, you know, was like a deterrent. And so one of the partners when I was leaving said, if I'd known you wanted to go to law school, I would have told you not to work in a law firm until you're a lawyer. I was like, you've got jokes, but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> um, so like I, I moved on, but like it was great to get the skills. Like those professional services skills had continued to serve me. I looked at business school and I was like, I don't really think this matches my FO, my MO, my, you know, my ethos, as we might say nowadays. Like, I really wasn't like that B-school person, you know. Maybe I had a very um, old world view that it was just like people just out to make money at, at no, at any expense. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm into public policy. Like, these things don't seem to jive. I have a, a more expanded view, but at the time, I was like, this doesn't really fit me. I don't really think so. So I started looking at different graduate school programs. I, I looked at maybe public health, but I decided that public policy, continuing that train was the way for me. And when I went to grad school, you know, I feel like my worldview had expanded. So I focused on international trade. Um, and that's sort of, you know, how I got to New York. Um, it's interesting. I, um, after grad school, I had applied for some jobs to work abroad. Like I never went abroad in college. I just wasn't interested. Like I had a, a lot of fun in school. So I was like, I don't need to go anywhere else. Um, but, you know, I realized, but there's more to the world, you know, and I'm of the world. The world is of me. I ought to see more of it. And so um, I said, well, let me look for opportunities to study abroad. And the opportunity actually came after I graduated from graduate school. And so, but all those things, you know, it all kind of bubbled up to that. I was focused on international policy and international trade. You know, I worked at the International House. You know, I had summer internships um, in D.C., you know, being inside the Beltway. I could work at the Office of Management Budget or the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. We had a long summer, so I could do both internships and one defrayed the cost of the other because you can't work for free forever. Um, And then, you know, when I graduated, I applied for these jobs because I had another long summer before my full-time jobs start. And I initially tried to go to Eastern Europe and I was so excited about this program. I was so proud of myself that I'd sussed it out. I was like, ah, I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to do things. I'm going to travel. And I got rejected. I was like, oh my gosh, rejected. And, but they came back to me. It's like, well, you know, would you be interested in going to South Africa instead? As if it were a consolation prize. I'm like, (laughs) sign me up. So like three days after graduation, I'm wheels up. Like, you know, it's like 16 hours. You're going like here, here, there and everywhere. And then I spent a summer there and that really helped to further inform the job that I took uh, in New York when I got here, which was like doing international trade. 
you know, I, I worked on the private sector side, helping companies manage their operations, take advantage of these regional international trade agreements that policymakers help to devise. Um, it was sort of like a continuation of some of the work I'd done in my internship. And so it's interesting how things come full circle. So, you know, I guess the short answer, my public policy career has not been traditional, but, you know, public policy touches every aspect of life. And so, you know, what is tradition at this point when we're all impacted by policy? I love that. No, that's so great to hear. And I think public policy is one of those things that you go, when you're looking at majors at school, maybe you're like, what is this? What would I do with it? And hearing it in practice is like yeah. incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. What, you know, going to grad school, I think is a interesting conversation, especially in the world of communications. I think people, you know, there, there's kind of this debate on both sides of you go to grad mm-hmm. school and you get this degree or you start working right under undergrad. You start, I mean, especially in certain areas of communications, like in magazines, like, you know, should you just go and work and be an assistant and work your way up? Or should you come in later mm-hmm. with this graduate degree? So kind of, it sounds like you did a lot of great analysis when you were trying to decide to go. What advice I did you... I learned from public policy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're learning it here too. What advice would you have for someone who's considering going to grad school and maybe wants to work in public policy or maybe wants to work in a different area or wants to work in communications? You know, what, should, what should they kind of take into consideration? You know, I, I had a client once tell me something that is, was so profound. Like I never thought of it this way, but... You know, we were talking about like, you know, where we were going with our businesses, like clients we might work on together in the future. And she, she used the term like design your life. So like if you, if I were to give some advice to people now, I would say, how do you want to design your life? And you don't need to have all the answers at the beginning because, you know, life is an iterative process and, you know, pandemics happen, you know, upheavals happen. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be nimble, but like if you make an effort to maybe have like a, like some sort of underlying architecture based on how you want to design your life. I think that's useful. And so for me, you know, when I was doing that survey of B school versus public health school, you know, I also looked at maybe getting a PhD. My dad has a PhD and I was like, "Mm, I don't have enough sustained interest in one topic uh, to do that. You know, I have a lot of different interests. Uh, Although I did like being a TA in in grad school. Um, You know, so I really think, you know, think about what your strengths are. People never tell you until much later until you've wasted a lot of time trying to like overcome your deficiencies that, you know, your best play is to play to your strengths. And so when you're thinking about whether or not to go to graduate school, uh, think about what your strengths are, how you want to design your life. What are your interests Sort of, you know, what kind of impact do you want to have in your given field and let that determine. And you don't have to do all this thinking and analysis on your own. Like, you know, you could talk to people, maybe not so much in real life at this moment, but, you know, people are accessible by regular old phone call or Zoom or email or Slack. And I, you know, really sort of ask some of those questions beyond what you might be able to answer in a catalog. Like, what was it like? You know, you know, what advice my father would always give me is work backwards from the graduates and see where they are. Like, are they working in jobs that you find appealing? And if so, that is an avenue for you to consider. So if you uh, decide that you might want to go into, you know, public health, Do you want to work for a public health firm? Do you want to work for a pharmaceutical company? Kind of work backwards from, you know, the end of one phase to see if if that is appealing to you and if that's a journey you want to take. Um, And so, you know, and as far as I, my situation, like I knew that I wanted to be out in the workforce for a little while because I think it helps to crystallize your 
preferences. You've you've got more data. You had a little bit more lived experience and you have a better understanding of the working world and how you might want to be in it over the longer term. And then you can go to graduate school. So, you know, in some ways, I think I knew what I wanted to do before I knew what I wanted to do. So I went to graduate school and I continued the vein of public policy for my undergraduate studies. And, you know, and I was like, did I do the right thing? Like, I enjoyed it. Like, how is this really going to manifest itself? But, you know, like, I've been thinking a lot more and more about it in, in, you know, these later years. And I'm like, I did the right thing unbeknownst to myself. Like, this is, you know, how I would design my life, how I view the world, how I want to be helpful. And it sort of goes back to that always wanting to be of service. And I look for that in, in opportunities, in client work that I do, um, outside activities, like being part of New York Women in Communications. Like, how do you want to be of service and be helpful? Because like, you know, I didn't get here without people pouring into me. And it's like a joy to be able to do that for others. Such great, actionable advice. I love it. It's so, so good. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Like something I've been doing lately in this, I'm a list maker. I love to make lists. Um, mm. And something I've done, maybe it's definitely started pre-pandemic, but I've been doing it more as, you know, kind of our, our time is shifting um, and availabilities are shifting is making a list of of priorities, like you're saying, like, what do I actually, and physically writing it down. And then when Mm -hmm. certain opportunities arise, applying to that list, because as you know, and I think we were talking about this before we, on our, on our pre-recording chat, like time is money and your time is so valuable. And so it's very easy to get pulled in a million directions. And I'm sure I sound Mm -hmm. like a little bit crazy or maybe hyper-organized because I'm hyper-organized, but it really has helped me when (laughs) when I get pulled in a million directions to be literally look at the list of priorities and say, does this apply uh-huh. to any, and maybe it does apply to something or maybe, and maybe it's very small or maybe it's a new path and it's a new priority uh-huh. that I can add. But even just thinking about what you're saying, like thinking about what you, the values first and then making the decisions yeah, yeah. based on the values. I don't, I don't think a lot of us have, it's almost like we don't have the time. I'm using air quotes because we have mm-hmm. the time, but don't make the time to do that. So right. I, I really, I really like that way of thinking and that decision-making process. Um, in terms of any, deciding any next step, right? Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, you, you always have to work on it because, like, you know, your default might be, be like, say yes. Like, you know, exactly. especially when you're building a business, exactly. you can say yes to everything. But, like, over time, you really need to have a different set of filters. You know, like, um, I, I like football, and Marshawn Lynch, like, he's sort of this modern-day soothsayer. He says things that sound off the wall, but if you really listen... Like there's a lot of wisdom. And so one of his uh, quotes that he was saying right about the time of the the, um, Super Bowl when life was simple (laughs) pre-pandemic, he said, you know, using like euphemisms, he said, you know, you need to take care of your chicken. You need to take care of your mental. You need to take care of your body, your physical. And so chicken is a euphemism for money. So he's like, you know, think about what you're doing that's going to help advance your business is sort of like how I took it. You know, think about what you're doing in the self-care area, because like, if you're not looking after yourself, how are you going to look after others or your enterprise, you know, and think about what you're doing for your body. Like I've been thinking a lot more about my posture and, you know, maybe doing more free webinars from, you know, all these physical therapy people who are talking about how not to slouch in your office chair or, you know, how to stretch in your apartment or whatever. And so, you know, that's another way that I've been working working on how to design my life and, and apply these filters so that I'm doing things 
that are going to be worthy of the, you know, the investment, you know, because I had another boss who said, always do things that are the highest and best use of your time. I love it. It's so great. It's great advice. Among your many accomplishments along the way, (laughs) you founded your own company, Lewis Media Uh Company, and uh, I'll definitely have you talk more about it, but it advises agencies, small and mid-sized businesses, and creatives on strategic communications, marketing, and business development. Um, So love to hear how you, you know, kind of how you got there. We've heard a bunch about your path so far, but how you made Mm -hmm. that decision and, you know, what you learned from starting your own company that maybe you didn't know. Oh. Uh, I know it's weighted a heavy question. <laughs> I know that you see me like, you know, I'm looking up to the stars, looking for the sky to save me, like a red hot chili pepper. Um, well, I gotta say like this, the, the whole, the, the germ, like, you know, the seed of this business happened like in 2011. I was in between jobs and I was like, I need a way to, you know, keep up my chicken, you know, keep the money flowing, you know, maintain connections to and grow my network, you know, keep my skills up, keep my interests up, stay current with the industry. And so, you know, I would do some freelance projects off and on when I wasn't you know, kind of focused on finding my next opportunity. And then when I got my next opportunity, I would continue to do things as they came. You know, I wasn't necessarily always seeking out. Sometimes things would find me, but, you know, I wanted to keep the business alive. And you know, when I decided to take it full time in um, 2017, you know, then I got like another role. And then I went full, full time in 2018. So it's been, I just celebrated my two year anniversary as it were. Congratulations. Uh, oh, I thank you doll. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't want any more regrets in life. You know, I, I've had plenty of regrets. I don't want to add to the list. Like I can't go back in time. I can't turn back time, but I can do things differently on a go forward basis. And so I didn't want to be left to wonder, oh, what could have been? What if I had taken that leap? And I was like, so I started to say to myself, if not now, when? Why not me? If it's terrible, if I crash and burn, fine. I crashed, I burned, but you know, I'll, I won't be left in the dark about what could have been. And so I thought, you know, it could also be amazing, right? Like, you know, looking at the positive, but uh, I just didn't want any more regrets. And I thought, you know, in some ways you, you, you've done all these interesting jobs and I had a lot of great jobs. Now, I actually liked most of my jobs, Um, but you know, you're always looking for like that perfect marriage of opportunity and like the type of work you're doing. And I thought, well, maybe I could design that for myself. And, you know, if I am, you know, the master of my own universe, I am able to like, you know, pick out things that I want to do. Um, and so it's, it's been interesting. I, I would say to the flip side of your question, like the reality, what have I learned? Oh, my word. <laughs> I've learned that, you know, you should prioritize business administration. And that doesn't oh, yeah. mean you, Timmy Lewis, has to do it. Like defer to the expertise of others. Like I've always been a big fan. Like I don't do my own hair. Those aren't skills God blessed me with. I can run my yap. <laughs> I do that. So, but for everything else, you have to defer to people who can help you along. So I had some silly notion that I could do my own website, lies. I had some silly notion that I could do my own accounting, more lies. So get a good accountant and sort of get your administrative infrastructure in place. And I I had the good fortune of having had some clients already before I started. You know, I was doing some work on the side uh, and I had a couple long-term clients and just rolled them over. And, you know, those projects begat other projects. And I think, you know, when you're rolling, like your energy 
kind of attracts these things. And a lot of it came word of mouth, so which was really exciting. But I didn't pour that same energy into getting my infrastructure in place. And so that's what I would advise people. It's like, you don't have to have everything tied up in a nice bow, but some of that underlying architecture, I think would have been helpful to me. And so I now have that in place. And so recognizing that I don't have to be Atlas and carry the world, you know, which, you know, theoretically, but like you need to do that in practice was very helpful to me. Um, So that's one of the things I learned is get a good accountant. If your budget allows, get a good bookkeeper Um, and sort of like how I, you know, everyone's cooking more, or at least they're thinking about cooking more. And I was always taught to clean as you go. So like, you know, when I'm sitting here waiting for this, you know, you know, shrimp to saute or whatever I'm putting in the oven to finish baking, I would clean because like I'm, I'm impatient. So I was like, you know, I got to do something. So in a similar way, I'm now trying to change, uh, train myself to be better about some of that business admin to do my expenses as I went along, as I did when I was consultant and I had to. And it's sort of like creating those um, points of discipline, I think are helpful because then you're focusing on that highest and best use of your time, which is business development, delivering the work, you know, innovating, getting creative about how you might deliver your services. And again, going back to those ways that you might future-proof your business against other um, downturns in the business cycle. It's such amazing advice because I think also, you know, you're starting your business and you're maybe not wanting to spend money. It feels like spending Mm -hmm. on like a bookkeeper is crazy. And, and you, it doesn't, ha- I mean, as I'm sure you've learned, like it doesn't have to be that expensive, but just spending any money on things you feel like you could do yourself, but right. Mm-hmm. It's your time. Like we've learned this too. When you think about, Oh, I could have spent, I'm building my website. I mean, that's going to take, let's say 15 hours, like 15 mm-hmm. hours of business development or active sales or client serve, making my clients happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really just the distribution of time. It's, it's really, really good advice. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've talked about this podcast before, but something I've learned also is there's just a lot of services to support businesses as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so when we started the city of New York, they offer legal services for free. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I think, and, and, and small business classes and how to do QuickBooks. I mean, if you want to learn some of that yourself and some of the easy stuff. So, um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that again is where you should hire a bookkeeper, but all kinds of classes, (laughs) right? I'm like, don't, I'm not encouraging anyone to do their own books because I've been there and it's very time consuming. But I think it takes a little bit of, you know, searching, but there are Mm -hmm. a lot of things available. So setting up an infrastructure, like you said, and and knowing it doesn't have to be expensive. Or I think like you and I had this conversation. I remember it was probably a couple of years ago. And I feel like we had talked about, you were thinking about maybe even potentially partnering up with some other businesses to have to share a bookkeeper or something like exactly. that. Exactly. So, and I think that I remember, I remember that because I thought it was such a good idea because it's like, oh yeah, you don't have to be employing these people on your own and that can be very expensive, mm-hmm. but partnering up, obviously also using maybe a freelance resource. Um, but setting that up is so, and it's hard, right? When you dive into it, once you're busy yes. with work, it feels like, oh my God, I, can't, I don't have the time either to set up the infrastructure, but it's so vital. It is. And, you know, if you do it as you go, or you may have a designated day, or you carve out a little time, like you would for all the shredding you have to do or what have you, then it makes it, um, it's a snackable uh, type of situation. It's not like some big, huge thing that you then have to tackle. Uh, but yeah, you know, and sort of, in, in learning more about these resources, and I've taken a lot of these classes, like, you know, I looked up one day and realized I was part of this community of entrepreneurs. 
And so, you know, we can have these conversations about tips or leads or maybe going to market together or, you know, bartering or, you know, uh, co-financing a virtual assistant or a real life assistant or things, you know, like do you can do to help elevate your respective enterprises, um, but also, you know, kind of going old school and just bartering and cost sharing and just, you know, sharing information. So it's, it's, it's been nice because I looked up and I realized, I was like, I know a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of them are also women, but I didn't realize it at the time. And so like we help each other out. And so that's been lovely. That's great. Community, especially when you're, I, I, you know, I have an agency and uh-huh. we often say like we, we're looking to meet other agency owners because we're all trying to figure it out almost ourselves. Yes. I'm like, I'm sure some uh-huh. of them are doing things that much better than I am and I could learn from them. And I'm sure there's certain things I've developed processes and things like that. Mm-hmm. that they could learn from me. So the community building is really, it's, it's vital. I totally agree. It's huge. Um, one other thing I would add to that yeah. question is um, when you run a business, like you're never really off. Like this notion, going back to like, I don't know what day it is. I only know when it's Friday. The notion of time is very different. It's more fluid when you run a business, I think, especially when, you know, I'm a solopreneur, but then I'll hire people, you know, 1099s as it were to help me execute on certain projects, depending on the size. Um, But I think I remember taking a trip and I was like, I really couldn't be off. And like, you're always on. And so that part can be, um, like that realization just hit me. Like, you know it in theory, but the practice, I was in St. Lucia, you know, like a year ago. And it was like, awesome. It was such a great trip. I love St. Lucia. Uh, Oh my God, I love this trip. It was so fabulous. (laughs) So I was there. And I had some silly notion of taking my laptop, you know, to the beach. I'm like, these are lies being told. I just need to go back to the room and carve out this time because this is what you do when you run a business. And so like, you know, getting those reminders that you're always on, you know, you you sort of have to design your day a little bit differently. You know, like one of my sisters was getting married and she was looking to hire a wedding planner. And she was really impressed by one of the wedding planners because the wedding planner, even though she ran her own business and she didn't have a huge staff, but she did work with photographers and other people, um, she put up office hours on her website. If, if only for herself, then you know, also for her clients. And I think that's a, a useful notion and one that we all should like really think about in, in these pandemic times. It's like, you know, how do we sort of set some boundaries on the time so that you have more to give later? I think it's amazing advice. And I think like to your point about vacation, I don't know how you feel, but like if I'm on vacation and I say to myself, okay, I'm going to work every day from two to four, I'm going to look at my emails. It then releases you the rest Mm -hmm. of the day from worrying about it because it's like, you know, that if something pops up, you're going to see it and you don't have to always be on always checking. So I think setting those boundaries are vital. And yeah, the reality might be, especially if you own your own business and you're solo entrepreneur, you're not going to be able to be like, bye, shutting down, but you can definitely work less and you can be in control of it, which I think is also a really, I mean, I love that control of there's not some, I don't mind working and some, cause someone else isn't telling me when (laughs) to do it. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And you know, you're doing it for yourself and you want to, serve your client. You want to do a good job. So like that helps to motivate you. Um, but I think having designated times, you know, one thing I did years ago was take off the chimes. Like when an email comes, I don't need a chime. Like we're all checking our phones incessantly anyway. So like maybe we don't need that prompt, but that was one of the things I did back in the Blackberry days. Whoa, that's old school. Like I was going to say, I had no, right. (laughs) I don't have any, Notification. I mean, I, I have so few notifications to your point. Mm. I was like, 
I don't need a text message notification. I don't even have like the, you know, anything that comes up on my screen because I'm going to be checking my phone every 30 seconds. Like I'm not missing, I'm not missing anything. And on my computer, I can see, you know, the number yes. on my app, the iMessage. Right. I, yes. I think, <laughs> or I have no, and I have no email notifications either. Um, because right, to your point, I, I, I tested it and I didn't, I didn't find I was missing anything. I felt like Pavlov's dog. Right. You know, right. like I, I'll still have them on text <laughs> message because like, I still see those like, I try to like not text with like my clients, you know, right. I try to just like do email. So like you've got some, some area that's a little bit separate. Uh, so I'll have the, for those and, you know, like if somebody FaceTimes, like, you know, but you know, for the other things, no, I'm not interested because I'm going to yeah. check it anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's great <laughs> advice, especially now, like we're all home, we're on our devices all day long. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, when you log off the two hours you have in the evening, probably for <laughs> Oh, no, <laughs> you can live without the notifications. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like quiet is like I like the sound of quiet every now and again. It's weird. Right. But you can chiming. hear the silence. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna I wanna make sure we also have time to talk about oh, I know, on right? the board of directors for oh, New York yeah. Communication. So you're the co-chair of the sponsorship committee. Um, and I, it's really exciting. We've been talking to more and more board members and hearing more about their roles and what they're doing. And I'd love for you to talk about, you know, what that role is and then how, how is being part of that board, you know, how do you balance it and what other impacts maybe has it had on your day-to-day life, on your career? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of networking happens. I think that would be really, really valuable to hear about. Yeah. You know, I love this question because, um, I am now, I'm the first one to tell anybody, like I am a big proponent of joining a professional organization. There's so much good that comes out of it. Yes, it requires some balance, but you sort of have to think about it as an investment in yourself. You know, I joined New York Women in Communications, wow, in 2008. I can't believe it's been like a decade plus. Oh my word, I'm getting so young. Um, And, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I found that getting involved in a committee you know, you really start to understand the organization. And what I really enjoyed about it and continue to enjoy about being part of New York Community Communications is that it's a chance to test your mettle in a new way. It's a chance to exercise or grow muscles you don't have. It's a chance to do more of work that you might enjoy, but maybe you're not afforded that opportunity in your current role. Uh, you get to meet new people. You develop skills. You, um, people want to help you and you are just as interested and inclined to help them because it's like being part of a, a, an alumni experience. Like you now have this shared experience and everyone is there because they want to be there. It's like going to that party where everybody dances. You know, nobody's holding up the wall. Like people are there and having the best time. And you get to, you know, work on different committees. Like I started off doing programming. I was a um, co-chair of the programming committee. And that was fun because like I'm a news junkie. So I'd always, always try to bring interesting people and I got to meet a co-chair and like we worked in totally different areas and we're friends to this day. And then I was on the foundation board before we sort of merged everything together. And now on sponsorship, you know, I joined sponsorship because like you just need to reinforce those selling skills. Like, you know, everybody is in sales, but you may not call it that, you know, it might be outside sales, might be inside sales, but everyone is, you know, engaged in the art of persuasion, getting people to do things that they might not otherwise do. And how could you do so in a way uh, where you develop some skills, a way that benefits the organization? And so, you know, I like being on the board 
because I like being on a committee and actually getting your hands dirty and doing work. You know, I like knowing that on the sponsorship committee, we're doing work that's going to help fund scholarships. Like, you know, one of the unique things about New York Wiki is that we help people at every stage and level of their career. So if you are just starting out in college, you know, we've got a program for you. We've got events for you. We've got content and opportunities that are going to, you know, support you in your growth at that level. If you are already in the C-suite, we've got opportunities for you. You know, we've got special roundtables, you know, we've got matrix opportunities. Like, and so I like that, you know, that's kind of a differentiator among other professional organizations. And, you know, it's not a, a zero sum game. You could be part of several, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be either or it could be both. And I love that phrase, both. And, and so that's what I like about it. And in the case of sponsorship, you know, we are helping to power some of our big tent pole activities. Like, you know, in the fall, we've got the student career boot camp. In the spring, we've got Matrix. You know, this year is going to be different because it's a pandemic. And in the summer, we have Ladies Who Laugh. And like, these are all fun events. They're team building events. They're fun to put together. You know, they present interesting challenges. Like when you think about like, which companies out there would align with our members, you know, and you know, who's, which companies do we align with and going out and really um, pitching them uh, on working with us. And folks are really enthusiastic about doing it. And so you get that satisfaction of knowing that you're doing your part to advance the organization, which has been around for decades and you want it to be around for decades more. And then, you know, to answer your question about the uh, networking aspect, you know, I like that we are encouraged to work with our, you know, each other to help ourselves. Like even as board members, we remember that we're networking with ourselves. You know, how can we, you know, work with other committees so you're not just so siloed. So in sponsorship, you know, you it's sort of like one of those cross-functional areas. You get to work with everyone from communications to, you know, student affairs to professional programming to the folks that are doing matrix um, to the folks that are you know, doing social media to folks who are doing our podcast. So you get to work with lots of different folks. And I think that is, is, it's useful. And I recommend it highly because um, if you can join and be actively uh, a participant, I think there's a lot of benefits and it is work. So you do need to balance. Uh, So, you know, try not to bite off more than you can chew, but recognize that you are investing in the organization. You're investing in yourself you're developing skills, you're strengthening skills, you're meeting people. And, you know, I have worked with some of folks, you know, like you know, people help each other out from uh, referring people for jobs, referring people for client work, or just being a mentor and, and sharing your life story and your experiences in a way that can be helpful. So, you know, there's, there's only upsides to me. And so I, I highly recommend it. So if you're not a member, join. And, you know, remember that, you know, it's fun too. It's not just work. And it's a safe space to explore how you want to go along in your career, you know, and we're, we're a big tent. So every discipline in communications is represented. You might work in advertising, you might work in marketing, you might be in digital, you might be in social, you might do content, you might do sponsorship. You know, there's something here of substance for you. There are people who are interested in your success. And so join. I love that. And I love the way you speak of it as just, it's, it's such um, like a supplement to your career. Like not, I mean, as you said, it is work, especially if you're joining the board, but I think something that's so valuable and I totally agree with everything you said. I've been members of this member of this organization, I think also for well over a decade. Now that you said that, I was like, Oh God, that's probably true for me too. <laughs> um, but it's right. It's, it's, it's helping you. The work is also helping you. It's definitely yeah. going both ways because of the people you're meeting and the skills you're learning um, and developing. And, and I think like something that's been so fun about the, well, the podcast as an example, it's like 
we have figured out how to make a podcast, right? And we've been developing these skills. And I don't, you know, (laughs) not everyone who works on the podcast committee does this in their everyday job, but it's something that they now have on their resume as producers of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And, and so you really can take on roles. There's lots of writing opportunities. Like I know a lot of people who build their clips through New York Women in Communications because they can write for the website. So absolutely Mm -hmm. love it. Agree, obviously that you should join. Um, but think it's really, it's been great to start talking to board members on this show and just hearing, you know, why they do it. And, um, I think that's, that's really helpful for the listeners to hear. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's interesting about Wiki, New York Wiki, is that um, it's really volunteer based, you know, like the money we raise really is primarily going to scholarships and people put in their time to help cover a lot of those other ambitious goals we're looking to achieve. Like, again, from the scholarships as you're starting out to, you know, if you're mid-career or you want to make a change in your career and you apply for a pivot grant to help you develop some skills that you might need or want to move your career to the next level. So, you know, it's been, it's been all good for me and, you know, I'm grateful and excited to have, you know, been able to be on the board and just at other times, just be a regular member, you know, shout out to the rank and file, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to take this uh, conversation in a little bit of a different uh, direction for kind of the last question away from uh, COVID-19. Um, and work in general. But so in addition to what we're going through with the pandemic, our country is also facing the crisis of systemic racism that has plagued mm-hmm. our nation for centuries. What changes do you hope to see in our industry? So what have you seen? Um, maybe you've seen some stuff already, or what do you hope mm. to see when it comes to improving diversity, equity, and you know, inclusion at kind of every level within mm-hmm. an organization? Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, I, I sort of see the pandemic, we have twin pandemics right. and, you know, some of us have been hip to the other pandemic for a little bit longer. Everyone is now sort of got like a basic or more people now have a basic understanding of, you know, how structurally this, this country has not always advantaged all of its citizens. Um, and for me, talk is cheap. So it's early. You know, everyone could put out a statement. I, you know, as a communications person, like I could, I could conjure up anybody. I could write a quote. I can make you sound like as juicy as possible. But like, mm-hmm. what are the actions that are going to follow that on a go forward basis? And so, for me, what I hope to see is that uh, uh, companies change their policies and would go back to the beginning. You know, what are you doing at an elemental, fundamental, operational level to you know walk the talk? And so, you know, what are, what are you doing from a policies and practices standpoint? Are you looking at pay equity? You know, are you looking at um, tying up your priorities to your, um, your uh, uh, evaluation system, you know, to your bonus system, to how you compensate people? And so, you know, when you make those changes to your standard operating procedures, like those fundamental but real changes, like, then I'll be like, okay, you're serious. And so, and that's going to take some time to pivot. It's like a big ship, you know, you don't turn left or right, you know, on a dime. Like, it, it's going to take some incremental steps. But I think this sort of, this big bang of, of movement, you know, should not be lost. And, and, and if you really want it to be sustained and true and have your actions back up statements that lots of companies are now making in our industry and others, you've got to walk the walk. What are your policies? What are your practices? What are, how are they intentionally or unintentionally disadvantaging people? And how can you course correct? Do that. And then, you know, I'll, I'll give you some applause. And then the other thing I would say is that um, it really is kind of like a top-down thing. Like, you know, power to the proletariat. 
But, you know, everyone takes their cues from the top. So, you know, if, if the leader of an enterprise, a company is, you know, living those values in real, tangible, uh, measurable, uh, actionable ways, then I think that's going to give people confidence that, you know, these, it's not just lip service. It's not just rhetoric. Uh, and so, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment. I feel hopeful. But, you know, and I think there are a lot of people who are chiming in to say, you know, these are some of the ways, like if you're looking for actionable next steps, these are some of the ways that you can make real um, your statements over time in, in, in impactful ways. So I will reserve judgment. Talk is cheap, but I think we're moving in the right direction. And it's a shame, you know, it's taken so long and it's a shame that it's taken so much death and destruction but like, here we are now, you know, what are we going to do with this moment? Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's such a, such a great take on it. And I think, you know, we, we've talked about the pandemic and things changing and innovating, and it might be a, a long-term solution. It's not just saying, okay, let's, we're going to do things overnight. And to your point, yeah. I also hope that the people are planning. It's not just, I'm putting out a statement that we care and they, you know, and, and if the leadership to me, a lot of it, and what I've been seeing in organizations is about education and people mm-hmm. being open to really changing their minds, right? Not just saying that they're going to change their minds or really learning um, and not just saying that they're willing to learn. So we had um, Janita Dew on the podcast, who is mm-hmm. the head of you know diversity and inclusion for Warner News. And and she, it was really fascinating to me uh, to have the conversation during this time, but she said a lot of what you're saying in terms of tying these things to business, like it all has mm-hmm. to be part of the business in, for it to be equally important for everyone within the organization, right? And especially yeah. from the top down. So I think that is, I agree in terms of just what I hope to see also is mm-hmm. action, action, yes. continued action. Yeah. Right. People have to be incentivized and you've got to help them develop those muscles so they're going to have that muscle memory. And, you know, it's, I, I sort of think about it as, um, adding different branches to your decision tree or like, you know, back when I was going to be a doctor and I did a lot of science, you know, looking at a dichotomous key, if not this and that, if or this, then go there. So like, how do you build in those steps so that, you know, there's like a natural pause that might not be there now. And, you know, incentives help with that, you know, the top down messages help with that. Changing the policies and practices help with that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for talking to us about this. We want to be having these conversations on the on this yeah. podcast and openly. This is, and this is life. Absolutely. And and one you know, one goal of New York Women in Communications is to have these part of the woman herd initiative is like to have these conversations. And this is mm-hmm. um, obviously, as you said, a conversation that's been happening for a very long time, but also newly given energy, like things that yeah. people before maybe thought for like, oh, it's awkward or impolite to talk about these things very openly and publicly, and we just need to be talking about them. Yeah, openly. it's not fun as a Black person to deal with these things, um, but if, if people are open to change, let's change. Yeah, I love it. And not to completely change courses, but we are going <laughs> to reach the lightning round of our podcast, so we're going to oh, have a little... My word. <laughs> we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Um, I'm and- in the hot seat. It's your, all your advice, everything has been so amazing and, and incredible and fun. And now we're going to have a little bit, a little bit more fun. So here we go. Our lightning round. You okay. just produce the quick answers. So what's the okay. best job you've ever had? 
oh, the best job I've ever had. Oh, I worked for this uh, municipal television station. I couldn't believe they paid me. It was so much fun. It was like an interesting mix of business and creative. And, you know, we didn't have any money, so we had a lot of ambition. And so that ambition powered our creativity and we did lots of cool things. I loved it. That's awesome. That sounds so, so fun. (laughs) What's the worst job you've ever had? Oh, my word. I... (laughs) Right before college... Like I, I need to hustle hard. I need to earn some cheese because it was so expensive and like, you know, financial aid only took me so far and I had to contribute. So I was like uh, a temp and I got all these temp jobs. And one of the jobs I got in addition to those was as a telemarketer. And there was this guy <laughs> who like located his business near a police precinct and he would, we would look at the crime statistics and call people to see if he could sell them a home alarm system. But he was like the worst boss. Like all of a sudden, like that mandate expanded to picking up his dry cleaning. I was like, hey, hey, this is a wrap. (laughs) So after a week, I was like, this is not going well. You know, I can find another job. Uh, I just need you to drop my final paycheck and let me know where I can park when I come to pick it up because I'm out. So he was bonkers. So I had to leave that job. (laughs) You you got out and you learned everything, right? You learned something from every job. Uh Sure, sure. What's maybe, what's the best career advice you've ever received or your favorite piece of career advice? Oh, I feel like I've gotten a lot of good advice, but the one that I, I find that I dispense most often because I find it most valuable to me is to play to your strengths. Uh, you know, you go through your whole academic life. Everyone's like, oh my goodness, tell me about your strengths and weaknesses and you need to work on your weak areas. Actually, I'm not sure you need to. Is that the highest and best use of your time? Probably not. So, you know, figure out what you're good at and do that. Like, you know, it's not always that you're trying to game the system to work around areas that you just aren't, you know, naturally endowed to excel in. Do what you're good at. And there's the whole world of options out there that are willing to support you. Um, And then, you know, find people who can do what you can't do. Um, Another piece of advice I got from uh, my brother is like, everyone doesn't have the same level of capability act accordingly. Mm-hmm. That find people like who can do what you can't do. I mean, I think that is also like very rarely mentioned and such good advice of like you can yeah. partner and you can supplement strengths. And I think, yeah. you, you know, in this competitive world that we all work and live in, oftentimes that's just completely overlooked, but I love that. It's like, if you can't do something, yeah. find someone who can <laughs> To, not to make it all about yeah. you, but you can play to your strengths. And as a team, you can really achieve. I love that. Yeah. It's it, it, being vertically integrated at times is very inefficient. Right. So. It's, it's really good advice. I love it. And have you ever received or heard like a spectacularly bad piece of advice? Oh, a, a spectacularly bad piece <laughs> of advice. Um, like, I, I was thinking about this. I was like, I, I, you know, I've, I've had so many jobs. <laughs> like, like, I really had to, like, this is why it's good to have a CV, right? So you can get that whole world documented because I started working at 14. As soon as right. I could get a work permit, actually before then. So I guess I worked illegally as a camp counselor. <laughs> uh, a spectacularly bad piece of advice. Um, you know what it is? Like, people who, who don't think critically. Like, they sort of take everything that's given to them and they don't really you know, use their powers of discernment. Like sometimes what people give you is good stuff, but like you should use your brain and, you know, and evaluate because on the surface, it might seem like a good thing, but maybe not. So I think knowing that um, there are times when you should question things 
uh, you know, use your powers of discernment and don't just take what's given to you. I think that, I think that's great. I mean, I think in terms of advice, right? Like your bosses give you all kinds of career advice. And I think mm-hmm. when I ask this question, oftentimes people have to think about it because they're like, oh, I don't know what's bad advice, but probably at the time you listen and you take that advice in and you mm-hmm. think, oh, this is advice. I should consider it. But like you're saying, thinking critically and being like, yeah, even though this person's saying this and even if I respect this person, like it's not necessarily something I should do. <laughs> I think that's yeah. really hard. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, sometimes you just have to pause. And like, you know, I like to move fast. I talk fast, I walk fast. But like, there is some benefit in just taking a moment. Right, totally. I Mm. love it. I love it. (laughs) Take a moment. (laughs) And where can our listeners find you? Are you on social media? Where do you like people to connect with you? Do you like them to connect on LinkedIn? You know, know, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, you know, I read a lot, but um, I'm a social media observer. Now, I can conjure up a great post or tweet or a story or what have you, but I will do it on your behalf as opposed to on my behalf. So, like, I feel a little creepy at times being a lurker, um, but uh, I, I do keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. I just don't always choose to opine, which is ironic given that we've been chatting all this time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Very, oh very goodness, special. So thank you. We could oh, chat for hours and hours. I know. Thank you. right? You're fun to talk to. Oh, thank you. You're so fun to talk to. You're it's really, oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. You're so nice. Thank you so, so much. And um, if you want more information about this podcast for our listeners, you can follow New York Women in Communications on Twitter at NYWICI. We always tweet about new episodes. Or you can go to the website, nywici.org slash podcast, nywiki.org slash podcast, and you can find all our episodes there. So very special thank you to Timmy and a very special thank you for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast, Chelsea Orcutt, Elizabeth Roberts, Chrisanne Grizet, Mandy Carr, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. And thank you to the team at New York Wiki who supports us, including, but not limited to, everyone at Kellen, Deidre Wyeth, and June Price, who designed the show's logo and does all of our graphics. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. That's nywiki.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.